1: Hello and welcome to The Switzer Show. I'm Peter Switzer and, yes, we are in a state of euphoric, stupendous shock. How how did that happen? I'm, as you know, I'm Peter Switzer and my colleague, Paul Rickard, sitting right beside me. He's got stu- stupendous shock
2: as well. How did you take the Saturday night? Well, mate? I really enjoyed Saturday night, Peter. It's but it's I, I sort of called it before Anthony Green. By about 8 o'clock I sent a few texts out saying, I think the Libs are going to get up. But uh, look, I, I like most others uh, expected a, a change in government. I did have a little bit of money on the Liberal Party at five to one, so I did wasn't. You? So uh, you are I, a punter. Well, it's a two-horse race, Peter. Whenever you see five to one or better on a two-horse race, you think pretty carefully. Yeah, that's true. Um, but uh, not a lot. I only had uh, twenty bucks, so it was not to make a big difference. But it was nice to be a winner. Winners are grinners. Yeah. And then Saturday night was fantastic. Now, um, and it's carried on today to see the some of the markets' performance. But I think, uh, look. On reflection, Peter, I think this was about aspiration, uh, and that was the main issue. And that's what happened with, uh, you know, while, you know, Shorten didn't win and Morrison uh, did. But I think the other factor that no one else seems to have picked up about is the uh, unpopularity of the Queensland government. And you recall when we were doing our our Switzer Investor Days the last couple of weeks. And for some reason, I don't know how the Palaszczuk government came up, but we had an audience of. I would say pretty, pretty conservative oh, people, yeah. and,
1: and they were cranky, cranky <laughs> people. Would,
2: but when the Palaszczuk government came up, they all booed. Yeah, and we didn't get that sort of reaction in Victoria or Sydney. Um, and I think it was uh, the the baseball bat that was delivered in Queensland was mm-hmm. it was in some way a response to uh, a very unpopular state government who's seen not to be doing a lot. Yeah, but Poor. anyhow, look, um, it what Morrison's message worked, and uh, the unpopularity of Bill Shorten finally. Uh, uh, came, to, came home to rest, I think. One statistic I
1: had not come across until this morning and was something that I actually brought up with Graeme Richardson. I said to Graeme Richardson when I interviewed him for our strategy days, I said, why isn't it the preferred prime minister rating mm. is really important for the overall result? And he just said basically historically he just hasn't been. But I did learn today that no opposition leader has actually won power from a position of being the
2: least liked leader. Well that, that doesn't surprise me, particularly no. when they're coming from the Labour side. Do you remember the last the last three changes of government in the last sixty years when Australia's voted Labour, mm. Gough Whitlam, yeah. Bob Hawke and Kevin Rudd. Yeah. And at the time they were all very positive very pop very popular yeah. with big agendas, but you know, very popular, very high approval ratings, mm. you know. Whereas you know, uh, you know, Bill Shorten had a low approval rating and unpopular, and I don't think Australians like changing government. And typically, we're very conservative. That's why referendums are so hard to get up. And I think that's what what, uh, Saturday showed when, in the the privacy of the secret ballot, people said, "Look, I don't want to risk it." Yeah, and and do you think
1: also another thing I I mentioned to to Richo was when you add up the, the groups of people who might have been worried about Labor. And I'm thinking, anyone who owned a house, mm-hmm. because, the, you know, w- whether you're a labour voter or not, if you own a house, you prefer prices to go up rather than down. So they were against it. Then you got the retirees, and the frank Was it about a million or so of those? About a
2: million directly impacted, yeah. but uh, lots... All those... Most of those have got kids and dependents and... Yeah. Uh, and, but, the, you know.
1: and the family would have been yep. worried about, A, their, fa- their mum and dad or gran- grandparents... And The potential impact on their inheritance, so that's another one. And then you've got the um, the all small business people who yep. must be worried about wage rises getting yep. a little bit out of hand with the union movement. You start adding this up and you put you throw the, the the farming community who generally aren't labor supporters. That's a lot of people who could have easily said, nah.
2: and a lot of blue blue uh collar workers thinking it may be. The Labor Party's not relisting them too hard. It yeah. seemed to mean jobs seemed to be a second priority. So Especially the Adani yeah. coal
1: mine, yeah. a lot of the, the workers in those mine, mining areas were a little bit uh, cheesed off that Labor wasn't supporting, you know, or well, the union wasn't supporting them as uh, employees in the blue-collar well, industry. I think industry.
2: The, the biggest swing, uh, if you actually looked at the swings, the biggest swing was actually in, in the seat of Hunter in New South Wales, yeah. where Joel Fitzgibbon's the local member, currently the member... For the Shadow Minister for Agriculture, I think Joel was. Yeah. But uh, he had something like a 5th, 13%, 14% swing, and the seat might yet go to a one national candidate who happens to be a coal miner oh. and a member. So he might lose the seat. He might lose a seat if Gee. the a one, uh, one nation candidate finishes second, at the moment they're third. So yeah. it's a question of whether who finishes second or third in that and who gets the preferences. But the candidate there is a... Uh, uh, from one nation, but he's a coal miner. He's also a member of the C F M M E U. So, look, he's an interesting character. But uh, th- that's the biggest swing. And so, where you saw the swings were in the so-called you know blue collar uh, electorates they all voted much more to the right. And the so-called you know affluent areas like uh, the in, in Sydney and Melbourne and Brisbane, mm-hmm. even in some of the very safe Liberal seats, where there's you know the swing there is back to the Labor Party. Yeah. So. You know, it's, it's well, those people like, seem
1: to care about climate change yeah, well, more it's, than it's, say that the, the, the workers in a coal mine. I guess.
2: Well, I'm not saying that the workers in the coal mine don't care about climate change, but I think there's some other issues that they think are just as important, yeah, like, and a, like a job, how like to top, pay the house uh, off, yeah, how to pay the mortgage off, and uh, how to give your, your kids an education. I mean, it's sort of like, uh, yeah. you know. Anyhow, look, I think term, uh, uh, Abbott sort of nailed it. He said, I think, was something along the lines that. Uh, you know, if, if you're rich you can look at uh, climate change as, as a moral issue and if, if, if you're poor it's an economic issue yeah, and yeah. uh i think i don't think i quite quoted, quoted him right but it was, too, it was oh, it to that effect yeah, um, yeah. and i think that sort of brought it up but look uh as i said australians are conservative deep down they don't change governments easily and yeah. uh i think that was what happened people weren't ready for the change
1: uh you're a numbers man paul how come the news poll and galaxy and Ipsos and and even the bookies are so far out on this one?
2: Well bookies are, of course only bet only make markets based on on demand on demand yeah. and of course you know normally uh, bookies don't care about the outcome that's why it's called a book because yeah. you run a book to make a profit irrespective of the outcome yeah. yeah. Just so happened that some crazy bookies, in a publicity stunt like sports bet, paid out. Yeah. So they've lost something like five million dollars or something, right? It's a cheap it, marketing program. Here well, we are talking about sports bet. I don't know. I mean, look, we are, but yeah. look, it's uh, it's uh, that's why they paid out. So the bookies really don't care of the outcome. And all the money, all the smart money, is going on the Labor Party. Then that's why the odds get crashed. I think yeah. at three o'clock on Saturday, it was they're up to eight to one. Uh, yeah. So, uh, look, as for the polls, I'm a bit miffed like everyone else. The one that really surprises me is the exit poll, mm. it was so wrong as well. That yeah. was the one that, that they and I did. It was Galaxy, I, wasn't it? Yeah, mm. 52 to 48 the wrong way around. And uh, I guess the polls, they have a bit of an excuse that because of what people have mobile phones, they can't use telephone books anymore. There's obviously, the, the polls they were giving us, they're doing something to them in the first yeah. place, right? And uh, I think the story is that they're sort of massaging those figures in the first place. Well, Paul, is, so, a,
1: is an exit poll actually done at a polling station, or well, they're ringing it? Because no, no if someone come I up I, mean, I, I
2: would just say, sod <laughs> off. I'm I have, I'm have to. Voted. look, Peter. I don't know actually, and, yeah. if, and and again, if that was done at a, at a uh, you know through the phone, they could have the same problem. So yeah. I don't know how they do an exit poll, but uh, look, uh, I think. No, I think the biggest problem of the polls wasn't the prefer, two-party preferred. What, where the polls got it wrong was they un, way underestimated the primary vote mm. for both parties. So they had Labour at thirty-seven and its actual primary vote was thirty-three, so out by four points there. And they had the Liberals at thirty-eight and their primary vote was forty-one, forty-one and a half. So mm. they're wrong way around there. So the two-party preferred, you can argue, you know, were they just around with. References and who knows, but the primary votes were wrong. And that's the first time a long time news poll has been that wrong. So mm. I don't know what it means for the polls. Going it sounds forward.
1: like digital disruptions have even crept into uh, these uh, these polling uh, uh, methods. Now, Paul, one last thing before we go to our first guest. It's Michael McCarthy from CMC Markets. We've got to talk about this market reaction, yeah. which has been... I think so, when I read last minute, it's the second biggest one-day reaction since... Kevin Rudd won. There was a big one when Kevin Rudd oh, won. Look,
2: two thousand and seven. I can't remember that with Kevin Rudd, win, yeah, yeah. But, I, but I do know everyone loved Kevin when he came in. Two point two three percent was the <laughs> biggest, but we're, it's still by not having.
1: We probably haven't closed yet, but so we're getting close to it. It's interesting to see, but it's the second biggest in something like twenty six years, so that's very interesting. But Paul, um, one thing I noticed, I don't know whether you noticed, and you should have noticed this, because your old adversary, Albo. Uh, uh, Mr. Albanese, he spoke um, on the election night, and it was one of the worst speeches I've ever heard. Albo or any politician, he was thanking someone called Audrey as well, <laughs> and he must have had a few uh, sherbets before he got well on stage. But if this is what he's trying to win uh, the uh, the leadership
2: of the party on, did you see it? It was a show. Well, I, I didn't know, Think he was thought he was talking to the national. Yeah, the, but the it was audience. The it was. was the audience. I mean, I think his audience was his local staff, but it, it was. It, it, look, I won't say he had a, had a, had a few sher- uh, sherbets, but uh, <laughs> I did hear that he, that he. Um, and I can I haven't heard, seen this firsthand, but one of the reports going on, he's put, he put his hand up to run before uh, um, Bill said he wasn't going to run, so oh. <laughs> had, had conceded. So, uh, <laughs> look. Uh, and we anyhow. should
1: point out that in student uh, politics days, Paul Rickard, Rickard beat. Uh, Mr Albanese, uh, for what was the exact? President of the Student Representative
2: Council, a popular poll, Peter. So popular uh, poll? popular poll, 18,000. Did did, did you
1: stack the numbers?
2: Not that bad. (laughs) 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 Okay, so that's uh,
1: our little take on the election. The interesting thing is, uh, my preference is to see a, a Labor Party coming along that's a little bit more supportive of the economy and not as aggressive. This was, even Richo said he didn't like Bill's rich versus poor
2: rhetoric. Yeah. I, he didn't I think, think that I was think, good policy. I think there was a fundamental rejection of that. I think so. Hopefully, that'll go. But the other thing is, look, I mean, we should have a government now that has a majority, a working majority. It'd be slim. Yeah. The, fortunately, the crossbench will almost be arguably irrelevant. So, and because both um, Morrison's, the Liberal Party policies, they can't change leaders. So yeah. we've got a Prime Minister for three years. We'll have an opposition leader for three and years. And he won't have bu- uh, biting people, yeah, backbiting yeah. people. Won't have, you know, Tony Abbott is gone, so yeah. he doesn't have any ex- former Prime Ministers to deal with. News yeah. polls will come and go, but they'll be discredited for some time, so people <laughs> won't take them, take them too seriously. So yeah. yeah, theoretically, he should actually be able to govern. And you know, with the Senate, yeah, there's a Senate, I think... You know, it going to be workable, isn't it? It should be workable. In yeah. fairness to Turnbull, he never had that. No. Uh, not that I'm a Turnbull fan now, but he never had that yeah. and had to deal with a very difficult circumstance. So yeah. I think what we've lacked in Australia is, uh, is government that actually can do something. Mm. Uh, let's hope that Morrison actually t- takes the opportunity mm. and, uh, you know... And when when we when we come to our election in three years' time, we're, we're debating policy yeah. and whether the, the best the better policy alternatives.
1: And I've got to say, he, he spoke really well. He? he spoke the way someone like Bob Hawke really spoke. He he was inclusive, and that I thought was a very very powerful speech.
2: Yeah, and he look, and he needs to be, and we need to get some. You know, we need to. Australia can't be. We've been complacent on this twenty eight years of unbroken, you know, no recession. We need a. We need to keep the productivity drive going. We need to and deal with some of the other issues that are important to people like climate change and like uh, inequality, but be done in a constructive manner that allows the economy to mm. to prosper and to drive forward. Okay, so
1: our first guest on the program is Michael McCarthy from CNC Markets. We'll be later on joined by Rob Pasco, the CEO of Closed Loops, which is a very interesting recycling company, but it's more than recycling, he'll explain why. Um, But without any further ado, let's welcome Michael McCarthy, CMC Markets. Thanks for joining us on The Switzer Show.
3: Always a pleasure, Peter.
1: Okay, mate. So um, is this true? The banks are worth $24 billion more under a coalition government?
0: (laughs) That certainly seems to be the market judgment. In fact, they've been even higher than that today, Peter. Uh, The reaction in the market's stunning. And, of course, with the banks making up such an important part of the local share market, those huge gains we're seeing, more than 6% for major banks, uh, is driving the share market to an 11-year high.
2: But, Michael, I've been staggered by the bank's performance today. I just didn't think the... uh Personally, the, the dividend franking was just such a big issue in this share price. But I think it's a bit more than that. It's more about the position of the government, also perhaps uh, putting off the next interest rate increase. What do you say to there are other factors apart? Obviously, it's caused by the return of the Morrison government, but it's it's more than just the franking credits, isn't it?
0: Absolutely, and in particular, the proposed changes to negative gearing really had bank investors rattled. Uh, It's pretty clear that that would have meant a lot less lending for housing, and given that's one of the staples of the local banking industry, I think that might be, combined with the franking credits, the key reason why we're seeing such a strong response in bank share prices today.
1: And also, Michael, I've only just thought about this, that because of the negative gearing, and if you, you accept house prices would have been relatively lower as a consequence of that, it kind of undermines the the quality of the bank's balance sheet, doesn't it?
0: Oh, indisputably, I mean, shareholders will want returns. Bank management will be tempted to chase it. And when you've got a solid asset like home sitting there, and then suddenly the prices of those are sliding, uh, it upends a lot of the calculations and a lot of the thinking about the banks themselves. So uh, that could have been uh, even worse for the banks than uh, some of the other changes that were proposed.
2: Let's see. Let's talk about it. Look, look, look in the future, Michael. The banks up between six and eight percent today. Uh, look at a fairly Last week was pretty disappointing. The CBA's third quarter trading update was pretty disappointing. Uh, Look, bottom line, do you think they can go much higher from here?
0: I think we're likely to see support in the days and weeks to come. This uh, change... or. The the non-change of government, I should say, uh, upends a lot of the thinking about the banks. And I suspect we'll see a re-rating of the whole sector uh, after the result of the weekend. So I do suspect we'll see further gains. But, Paul, I think you're right to point out we're not out of the woods globally or locally yet. We still have a very slow economy uh, and lending is directly tied to growth in the economy. So for the sake of the banks and the sake of Australians generally, we'd like to see a higher growth environment. And that, of course, is not just about what happens here in Australia, but what happens around the world. And that trade dispute between China and the US appears to be the major short-term worry for markets everywhere at the moment.
1: It also seemed to me, mate, that the one thing the market would have to say is that a coalition government is going to persecute banks less than what Labor <laughs> would have done. And, that, <laughs> and, and that's a fair call. That In, in many ways, you, know, you you'd have to factor in that Labor could be far more... For example... Labour was going to be tough on mortgage brokers, for starters, weren't they? So they were going to be tough on banks as well.
0: Absolutely. you have to say the relationship between the you know, progressive left side of politics and, and the business world has never been a strong one. But uh, it, it did seem that there was a much higher risk of attacks from government if we'd had a change over the weekend. And I suspect that's another factor feeding into the bank rally today.
2: What about offshore investors, Mike? They they obviously have a tremendous influence on our market. They probably, in many cases, haven't had too much of a chance to respond. They'll be as surprised as anybody because all the brokers would have been saying this was going to be a a win for the Labor government. Typically, offshore investors don't like Labor governments. Do you think that they're more likely to perhaps, uh, with the Aussie dollar also under 70 cents, just look at Australia a little more favourably?
0: I think at the margin it is a positive from an international investor's point of view. I mean, politicians claim a lot more responsibility for market performance than perhaps is fair, especially when the market's going up, but uh, you know, at the margin it's a positive. But I think it's the impact it'll have on the other markets as well. One of the key things this morning that really gave us a clue as to what the share market might do was that the Aussie dollar took off at the open of trading this morning. And that change in thinking about where the Aussie dollar is headed is important to international investors. If they they think it's heading down, it doesn't matter that it's at a low level, they're not likely to buy in. Whereas, if they think that the outlook for the Australian dollar has turned, that's a key factor for them to think about allocating funds to the Australian share market. So, I think a number of the developments over the weekend will feed into that international thinking. We're likely to, to see further international support for local shares.
1: Okay, let's talk winners and losers. Let's go with the winners first.
0: Well, the big winners are the banks. Those, uh, Some of them have been up, uh, as I'm looking at it now, uh, Westpac's up more than 8%. We've seen similar gains for the big four banks. They've rocketed ahead. Uh, the other big winners today are the uh, medical insurers, Medibank Private and NIB Holdings, both up very strongly, 15% and 12% for these two. I mean, these are blue-chip stocks, mm. gents. Um, you know, to see those sorts of gains in a single session is extraordinary, but it just goes to show how important policy can be to Companies.
1: Mm. Okay, let's head to the losers now.
0: Yeah, quite a few hits here, um, and none of them quite specific, G8 education is one that's down. This is of course a, a childcare provider, uh, and those subsidies that the opposition were promising for childcare workers were clearly factored into its share price. It's had a bit of a turnaround today. Property stocks are also on the nose, we're seeing some pressure there, and that appears to be, uh, relate one to the uh, relative improvement in the outlook for banks as an investment, given that franking will stay and, and the tax treatment will remain the same. But also, I think there was people moving away from residential property and moving into commercial and office property uh, as a hedge in their portfolios, just in case we did see those changes to negative gearing. And so that's now being unwound. The property stocks also under pressure in trading today.
1: Okay. Any sign that the tech stocks are doing, responding to the, the, the more optimistic outlook?
0: Well, I hate to be blase, Peter, but they are down. They're under pressure today, down around 3%, but that's just an average day in tech land. Yeah. That sort of move is, is very common. So I suspect that it's not so much that they're going to be badly hurt by the uh, uh, election result, but rather that in, in today's market they're relatively less attractive than some other sectors.
2: And we have seen stocks like Transurban and Sydney Airport and others that uh, you know, had reasonably attractive unfrank yields, which... Probably got to some pretty crazy levels late last week. Um, just see their share prices knocked down today?
0: Absolutely. Sydney Airport's down 3.5% at the moment uh, and pressure in that whole uh, infrastructure space. And I think you've, you've belled the cat there, Paul. It is that uh, relatively less attractive uh, element of unfranked dividends that's weighing on them just as it's weighing on the property sector.
2: What about the uh, the power of... Um Providers, I always thought AGL and uh, Origin might have done a bit better today, but uh, look, that doesn't seem to have flowed through to the market.
0: No, origin is up with the rest of the energy sector down. Um, it's a bit of a mixed bag in energy and it just doesn't seem to be getting much attention. As a sector, it's one of the few that's actually in the red today and that's despite the fact that we saw uh, good gains in oil prices on Friday night and again this morning. So once again, it might just be a relative valuation argument. Investors are focused on the sector uh, and a little bit of pressure is push, pushing it low. It's not a dramatic fall there and you know, to be fair, Origin is up almost 1% so it does appear that, that the margin investors think was good news for Origin and AGL
1: okay this is the easy question where's the ASX 200 index going to finish this year mate?
0: <laughs> will we see 7000 You'd never give easy questions, Peter. But it's a good one. It's a good one because today's a good time to be talking about it. That breakthrough, the 11-year high, is very important from a technical point of view. Uh, And I must tell you, as a trader of more than three decades experience, one of my favourite chart formations is the breakout. Now, we've got to be careful. We've had plenty of false signals over the years and, you know, you can get false breakouts. But on what we can see in front of us today, there's a clear bias to the upside for the Australia 200 Index. Now, we're still expecting a lot of volatility and a lot of volatility of volatility. That is we're likely to see calm times and then very hectic and potentially chaotic times. But the bias now is clearly upward. And I suspect that at some stage between now and the end of December, we're going to see a test of the all time high for the Australian market up around that six thousand eight hundred and fifty mark.
1: Excellent. Love that kind of headline, Mark. Good uh, good to talk to you, buddy. Good to talk to you. <laughs> Thanks very much, guys. That's Michael McCarthy from CMC Markets. Uh, We'll be back in a moment.
0: And now, a word from our sponsors. Have you got a home loan? Do you know what you're being charged? Check your rate, and if it's more than 3.89%, call us at Switzer Home Loans. Our rate for a variable home loan is 3.89%. That's right, 3.89% is all you'll pay. Interested? Call 1300-664-339 or Google Switzer Home Loans.
1: Now, here's Switzy. And remember, every time we talk about headline uh, interest rates, like 3.89%, we also mean comparison rates. We don't have any difference between our advertised rate and our um, comparison rate. But if you do go and find a better loan than us, make sure that the comparison rate is better than 3.89%. Now, my next guest is Rob Pascoe. He's the CEO of Closed Loops, and they have a very interesting promotion called Simply Cups. Rob, thanks for joining us.
3: Good to be here, Peter.
1: Now, Rob, Closed Loop Environmental Solutions, would it have been better for this company to have a Labor victory on Saturday night?
3: <laughs> Look, a lot of people, a lot of people say that I, uh, I'm quite passionate about the environment. I think it's, uh, it's quite separate. But what a surprise! What a surprise that uh, that was for the country. Just goes to show you, you can't uh, trust those rascal pollsters.
1: No, you can't. And I guess the, the fair question is: we, we know Labor had a bigger commitment to in the environment, but but the space that you operate in. Um, is the, the, the coalition is, is big on things like recycling and stuff like that. They're, they seem to be more fundamental as opposed to really big-picture environmental. Is that a fair call?
3: Yeah, it is. And look, my business here is very much about uh, treating waste as a resource. We don't believe in waste at closed boot. We believe that we should be actually taking that product back and making it back into the same product as it was or similar products, but certainly using it as a resource because it's not just about uh, the sort of the green element of environment. It's much more about we can't continue to be using finite resources, nor can we afford to be just pumping so much uh, resource back into the ground when, you know, heaven knows we need it. We need it here to be making stuff out of it, and that's what we do at Close Leap.
2: Rob, you talk about the concept of a, a circular economy when it comes to waste. Can you just explain that to our listeners?
3: Yeah, sure. So the circular economy, or closed loop, as our business is called, circular economy is really saying it's not just about uh, recycling. I think I think the community and society are very wedded to, to recycling now, but lifting the lid of your yellow bin and putting product into the yellow bin doesn't constitute recycling. It's only really recycling when we use that product as the raw material to make new products and it comes back to you again and we created the demand for the products that are made out of it. That's recycling or what we call the circular economy. And a, and a great example of that is, you know, most plastics we can turn back into the same or similar products. I mean, plastics are made from, uh, you know, now so many products are made out of, uh, out of plastics and we're not just wedded to plastics but I use that as an example because we're talking a lot now about single-use plastics and how we need to ban single-use plastics. Well, I say let's not make them single-use. Let's make them products that we can use again and again.
2: Can I just ask a question on that, Rob, before I let Peter get back in? How many times can you sort of do that? Is it just you're taking a plastic and then recycling and producing something new? Is that a one-off or can you keep doing that with, in theory, as many times as you want?
3: Well, you do lose a little bit, Paul. You lose a little bit in, in recycling anything, you know, from uh, uh, paper fibres. You lose the paper fibres get shorter. You lose a little bit, and so you do with plastics. But, you know, in, in essence, you can uh, you can continue to recycle. What, what I like to see happening, though, is the, the products that were formerly disposable products, uh, like coffee cups, which we'll talk about, mm. uh, instead of them actually being made back into a coffee cup, make them back into something that you can uh, reuse time and time again. And we call that upcycling. So therefore, there shouldn't be the need to, uh, to infinitely recycle the one uh, bit of plastic, if that makes sense.
1: Tell us about the um, promotion you've got called Simply Cups.
3: So Simply Cups is a, is a solution to a, a big problem that, has been, uh, that we've only really got onto in the last few years, which is the humble paper coffee cup of which now in Australia, we're using about one and a half billion coffee cups that we know of, and that uh, depends on who you talk to, the exact number. But these are the, the paper coffee cups that's lined with uh, it's got a very thin polyethylene lining, and we've found that it's not actually recyclable under under our traditional recycling uh, processes with paper, particularly because the the plastic lining uh, stays bonded to the paper, and it's very difficult for us to get those paper fibres back. So we developed a program called Simply Cups which is really about coming up with solutions and things that we can make out of those coffee cups using the paper and the plastic fibre, either separating them or keeping them together and making new products and we're making a lot of upcycled products out of it ranging from sort of low-grade products that we're using for uh, for traffic management like curbing and uh, bike paths and B humps and car park bumps etc uh, right up to uh, actually products that you can um, that you can use again and probably the most novel product is is what we call the R cup which is a, a reusable coffee cup a top quality reusable coffee cup that's made out of six disposable coffee cups so we're saying don't be ashamed using the coffee cups just make sure you recycle them. And,
2: and what sort of traction is that having? I've seen people uh, turn up at the at the uh, cafe, and, you, know, you occasionally see someone bring their own sort of cup, but is that sort of growing, um, Rob? I mean, yeah, that's growing.
3: People are reusing, uh, a lot more using reusable cups, uh, bringing in their own cup, washing it out and then uh, bringing it in again for a refill. But, you know, the, the, the number of disposable cups is still growing. Uh, so what we're really trying to do is capture as many of those cups as we can, while at the same time making new products out of them and encouraging people to be part of this circular economy, as you mentioned before. And, you know, it's gained a lot of traction, the uh, the recycling. We've been going for uh, just on two years now with the Simply Cups solution. And in the first year, we uh, we collected just under a million cups. Uh, in the second year, we collected about uh, 3.6 million. So we're at about 4.6 million cups now, and it's growing exponentially as more and more people are putting in the uh, the recycling programs.
1: Yeah. So Rob, what's the, the unique process that you've introduced to actually collect all those cups? Because I'm thinking, you know, I've, I've seen our coffee cups end up in our recycling bin with glass and cardboard boxes and whatever, how do you actually seize all these cups and then, because you've got them exclusively in one area, you then can use them?
3: Yeah, it's a great question. And at the moment, what we're doing is we're saying we need to keep those coffee cups uh, separate. Mm -hmm. Hopefully in the future we won't, uh, but at the moment where all of the recycling goes is a material recovery facility or a MRF. And they sort products out. Now they're not set up at the moment to sort coffee cups separately. So we're saying, okay, let's let's put coffee cup collections into places where the coffee cups are going, uh, particularly into um, it, well into cafes, of course, but into offices and workplaces, schools, universities, etc. So that's how we're collecting the coffee cups by actually going to the source where they where they're finishing up, and we're encouraging everybody in their workplace. If particularly if they use the, uh, the paper coffee cups, the recyclable ones will, we, we're encouraging people to, uh, put a, or work with their employer to put in a, uh, a coffee cup collection system, uh, collection tube that we run through simply cups. We then take those cups back to multiple different, uh, uh, processes, mostly, uh, local technologies, Australian inventions that, that can use those coffee cups. So we're just really joining the dots, but we need to get the coffee cups collected, and we need to collect them as a separate source.
2: And, and Rob, is the big thing for you in terms of uh, how simply how um, closed loop grows is it, is the it ability to be able to sell more of the recycled product, or is it actually in the in the in the collection of the raw material itself? What's what sort of the driver to to your continued growth?
3: Yeah, well, in the true in true circular economy fashion, it's actually both. We need the raw material. We need the resource. We need those coffee cups coming back, and then obviously we need the people who are providing the waste. Uh, usually, the uh, uh, the people who are putting the coffee into the coffee cups, like Seven Eleven, like Muffin Break, like McDonald's. These are all partners of ours who are saying, you know what? You make stuff for us out of our coffee cups, and we'll take it back again, mm. and uh, and we'll put it into our into our stores, and that might be. You know, anything from food trays to reusable coffee cups. So the two drivers are really perfectly matched. The more coffee cups we get, the more product we can make. The more product we make, the more coffee cups we need.
1: It seems to me, Rob, there are two ways you can go here. It can be the old guilt trip, you know, like you rotten Australians, you know, ruining the environment. Put your coffee cups in one place. That's one way, and and I know you're not going to try that. But if you link this possibly to a charity that benefits from people making the effort, it could really have a, a, a real lot of traction because a lot of people are very sympathetic to the climate as, as the, uh, well, most of the election <laughs> campaign show. But I think if you link it to a charity, it seems to me a lot of people wouldn't make the effort. Um, and also if you get school kids terrorising their parents to do the right thing, you probably could do it as well.
3: Yeah, look, I, I, I love the charity idea and we certainly do work with uh, with various charities on, on not just on coffee cups but other uh, products, you know, food waste and so on that we uh, get heavily involved in making sure we recycle that as well. But, you know, you, you really touched on a great point there, I think, with uh, talking about we saw from the election on the weekend, the big stick approach doesn't work. We never use the big stick approach of saying to people, you must do this or you'll get a rap over the knuckles. People, we know that people want to recycle. They just want to know that it's actually happening. They want to see the results of or the fruits of their labor, as it were, and actually be able to see what what is happening. And that's what programs like Simply Cups, like a, like a lot of other organisations are doing as well, where they're actually participating in the circular economy as opposed to just uh, you know setting up a recycling program. And this has all changed, of course, guys, in the last eighteen months with. With you know China not taking all of our recyclables, and it's it's created a fantastic economic stimulus for us in in developing businesses yeah. and industries around using the uh, the resources going into the recycling bin.
1: And Paul, it's a classic example where a threat becomes an opportunity.
2: Mm. Yeah, and, and Rob, right. just in terms of your space, I mean, do you have competitors? I mean, what's the as a uh, you're a private company, I understand. So just just tell me about the company itself and and uh, how it how 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 your growth has been there and what you who your competitors.
1: When you going a list, so we can make some money out of it, mate.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, whenever you like, guys. But I, I think the, uh, the the answer to the question, who are our competitors? Look, our business is really a matter of working with uh, joining all of the dots, as I said earlier, and working with. People who can actually do this stuff. So we work with some major organisations. I talk about on the coffee cups, Seven Eleven and Muffin Break in particular. They provide tens of millions of coffee cups in, into the marketplace. So we work with all of the stakeholders along the way. The people who make the coffee cups, the people who uh, who collect the coffee cups for us, the people who then use them to make other products. So we don't have uh, we don't have. Competitors in the space of joining the dots as much as we actually have uh, partners that work with us on on providing the solution. And hey, look, I, I'm all about making sure there's plenty of room for all of us here. We've got thousands and thousands of tons of, uh, of recycled material or waste, if you like, formerly waste that we need to be able to do stuff with. So the more people that can can jump on board with this, the better. I'm not. I don't feel threatened. I, I much rather reach a critical mass of people understanding how the circular economy works and jumping on board with
1: it. Yeah, Rob, thanks for joining us. A great story. All
3: right. Thank you very much, guys. Have a great day.
1: Yeah, fantastic. That's Rob Pascoe, the CEO of Closed Loop. Paul, that's the show for today. It's going to be three years before we have another post-election show.
2: Yeah, we won't be able to talk too much about politics, but I'm sure the markets will keep us busy. Our our wallets are a little fatter today, Peter, and I guess uh, we're not unhappy about that. But, uh, look, the, the... the Australian people, I think, got it right. But let's hope, as I said earlier, Morrison doesn't squander the chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got a real chance to govern uh, and do something. And yep. uh, let's hope he, he, he does that and does that with the humility he displayed throughout the election campaign. Yep.
1: Exactly right. So that's the show for the, today. Thanks for joining us. And we'll Winter! see you and talk to you next week. <laughs>